0: Hey, podcast listeners, this is Kobe from the Common Thread podcast team. Welcome to the second part of our conversation with Brother Larry, uh, where we discuss Protestantization. Now, in the first part, we discussed Protestantization as a phenomenon in and of itself. In the latter part, this part, what we're going to be doing is applying those ideas to the case of Confucianism. Now, this is something we've talked before about on the podcast. You can look into our archive for Confucianism, but here we are specifically looking at the development of its ideas and then how uh, they collide with the phenomenon of Protestantization uh, in in a Western context. The other thing I'd like to note is that if you're interested in having discussions like this, you can go to the, uh, the Howard Thurman Center website at bu.edu slash HTC to find out more about the Common Thread podcast and how you could potentially join. Final note here before we begin is we wanted to extend a thanks to Brother Larry for spending so much time with us uh, having this discussion. It was uh, really edifying. Here we go uh, with part two of our Protestantization series. traveled through history into the 19th century, we talked about Weber and Tocqueville and the way that they influenced our assumptions uh, in this society, and then how we, uh, through Peter Berger, tend to forget the social realities that Mm -hmm. we construct. And so now, if we take a pause here on the the development of of Protestantism and talk about the case study that you look into, which is Confucianism, um, then we can really... Uh, arrive at the point where we merge these two strands. Yeah. Um, and so just to note for, for listeners who've listened to the podcast and might have looked at our old Confucianism series, we talked to Dr. Neville and we talked to uh, Dr. Bin Song about uh, about Confucianism and about, specifically about Boston Confucianism yeah. which is a, a type of Confucianism that tries to take Confucianism out of its East Asian context and put it and bring it into Western societies. Mm-hmm. And it's a play on words on Boston Brahmin, Boston Confucian, mm-hmm. Boston Confucianism. And so the argument of Protestantization is that when you bring a religious tradition into a Protestant society, into a plural democratic society, mm-hmm. these things happen to it. And the things being what what Brother Larry and I have been talking about. And so what I think we should do now is take this moment to go back to Confucianism and talk about the ways that Confucianism is inest- inextricably linked to political uh, political questions. Absolutely. So let's go back to uh, to uh, six. 6th century B.C. China Mm -hmm. and talk about Confucianism. If you can just sort of start us off there and we'll move slowly through that. Um, So Confucianism
1: is a fascinating tradition. It's also not called Confucianism. Right.
0: (laughs) Um, So
1: this is a huge misnomer. The term Confucianism is a Christian missionary construct. So Christian missionaries go to China uh, and discover this social movement. Right. And they ask people who their founder is, and they say, oh, Confucius, oh, then you must be a Confucian. Confucian and the there must way. be this thing, Confucianism. Right. Um, just like there is Christianity who is founded by Christ. Christ, yeah. Exactly. Um so right, so right at the very start we've got Protestantization, right? right. It's it's this um assumption by especially Protestant Christian missionaries. Right. Uh, that Confucianism is a thing like protestantism is a right, thing right. which is wrong right. uh so uh confucianism or ruism right uh, which is what ben and and dr neville and i like to call it um yeah. and not just like to call it but it goes back historically to um a social conception that Rue are scholars mm-hmm. um and, and and literati right um, who have emerged in during the warring states period out of a sort of minor aristocracy into a, a, a higher ranking classes and, and are having a great deal of influence uh, in, in the states uh, yeah. that are warring.
0: I just want right. I just want to remind the listeners they don't. There, there's no need to go back and, and listen to those episodes unless you're particularly interested in order to, to to go on with this episode here because we're going to lay out what needs to be known in order to talk sure. about the phenomenon of Protestantization. However, uh, just to note a few connections that I forgot to, which is first of all that. Um, Dr. Neville is the advisor for Dr. Bin mm-hmm. and also for, and for yourself, Yes. Yep. And so that's the way that we all came in contact and all of these moving pieces come together. Yep. Uh and then the all, the the other thing is if you want to hear more about the specific definition of the term rue there's this beautiful moment near the end of the uh, of the the, epi- the second episode with Dr. Bin where we talk about rue and he defines it in in really wonderful terms. Yep. So if you want to go back and listen to any of the episodes that we've done on this, I would suggest listening to that end part there so you can get the definition of Ru and why Ruism is probably the appropriate way to refer to this tradition. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Bin is eloquent on that point.
1: He's written yeah. a great blog post on it, too. Yeah. Um, so so you've got this class of people who are uh, attaining a certain level of authority during the Warring States period. Uh, right before the Warring States period, the end of the spring and autumn period in ancient China, uh, you get Confucius. Right. Um. Who is struggling with the fact that um, the political order and social order of his time is decaying. Um, It hasn't fallen apart yet. It hasn't devolved into war yet. But it's decaying. It's not working very well. Um, And and he's really worried about that. And so he thinks a lot about things like humaneness. What does it mean to be a humane person? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be an excellent person? Uh, a person of moral standing and stature. And how does someone cultivate that humaneness, and that uh, that greatness, that excellency, and and what influence can a great person have on society? So fundamentally, Confucius is thinking about political, what we would call political philosophy. Right. How do we order our societies? How do we govern them? Um, what makes for good leaders? Uh, and 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 how to structure all of that? Right. Um, now, at his point, things haven't fallen apart yet. So he's actually focusing mostly on the leadership question. Right. How can we form our leaders to be better people so
0: that we get a better society? Right. And and he's, he's trying to, in a sense, uh, this might be too analogous to Protestantism, but he's trying to evangelize for his conception. Yes. Of... What a good moral leader is he's trying he's traveling China yes. traveling ancient China and trying to find a leader who will listen to his advice yep and then eventually um, cultivates a number of disciples who yep. uh, start taking note of what it is he's saying. Um, and before we move on with with how the lineage moves forward into sure. these other Ruist thinkers, can you talk about the way that Confucius in order to in order to lend credence, Mm-hmm. To his notion of a good leader, calls upon the quote unquote ancients, yeah. uh, in order yeah. to say this is this is the way that good governance has been practiced in the past.
1: Yeah. So um, uh, Confucius thought particularly, and and this is is true of the of the Roo movement more broadly, um, is looking backwards in time uh, toward the the Zhou kings and then the even more ancient sage kings, right. as models of really excellent leadership. Right. Now, um, the reality is their knowledge of what actually happened then (laughs) um, is somewhat limited. Right. Uh, and is viewed through the lens, a very hagiographical lens, so right. a lens that's sort of uh, almost caricaturing the virtues of these people as, as almost right. divine. right? Um, and uh, so a lot of what they end up doing is yet, is referring back to those figures who are revered in the society. So this is a great rhetorical strategy to refer right. back to these people, in addition to being... That they actually saw them as great leaders, but then they're also sort of doing their theorizing and applying that back to them, right? Whether or not we have any historical reason to
0: believe that that was actually what's happening during the Zhou dynasty, right? There's there's a passage, and I wish I could I wish I could quote it directly, but there's this passage in the Analects where Confucius says, "I don't." I don't uh, profess anything for myself. I yes. simply translate or I mediate between the ancients and Absolutely. my students. Absolutely.
1: And that's a uh, that's a common phenomenon in, in uh, intellectual traditions around the world, right? Just yeah. to say this isn't me. I'm getting this from yeah. ancient places that are much more authoritative because they were really great people and um, yeah. so th- th- this is not a particularly uh, particular to Confucius, but yes, he he and all the rue of this period are are Harkening
0: back to the supposed golden age. Right. And so if we can just, throw, you know, give the listeners a sense of time. So then at, at uh, about 1100 BCE is when mm-hmm. the Sheng Dynasty becomes the Zhou, Zhou Dynasty. Dynasty. Yep. And then we eventually get into the spring and autumn period, with Ning, yeah. which ends with Confucius in uh who dies in
1: 479 479. um
0: and this begins the warring states period right and this
1: is a period of unbelievably bloody armed conflict right um where the state is actually falling apart now it's not just fraying and decaying which was confucius's concern it's actually falling apart uh and uh more minor nobles are taking up uh arms to try to assert power and going to war with each other um and it's a really, really awful, bloody mess.
0: Right, and, and it's mess. it's in this context over the several hundred years that uh, after Confucius that Rue thought really gets uh, absolutely gains prominence. Yes, and it gets articulated by other thinkers like Mencius. Yep, uh, and so can and then uh, the uh, Shunzi who yep. comes at the end of the Warring States period. Right. So can you talk about the way? Um, Confu- you know, uh, Ruist thought gets transferred from Confucius to yeah. Mencius to Shunzi.
1: So um, what's happening here is actually very, very complicated. Right. Because what happens is as things are falling apart, everybody's trying to figure out how to fix it. Okay. And there are lots of strategies at play in mm-hmm. this period for doing that. And lots of people vying for influence at court claiming, I have this great idea that will fix all of our problems right um and so you get what's called the hundred schools of thought of warring states china which is the golden age of chinese philosophy mm-hmm. uh broadly speaking not just ruism but also taoism and moism and uh legalism is born in this period which is ends up winning out in the formation of the qin dynasty only uh, at, the, at the end of the warring states only to then be defeated a few years later and then we get the imperial dynasty beginning with the han um, and um, so a hundred schools of thought, lots of different ways of thinking about how do we fix this, um, this violent, uh, situation that we've, we've landed ourselves in. And lots of people thinking they have, they have the solution. Um, so a number of those thinkers, uh, trace their thoughts on the subject back to Confucius. Right. Now, uh, Confucius, uh, did have a number of disciples during his own day, um, who, uh, maintained a school in the state of Lu, uh, on the, um, sort of central China on the Eastern coast. Is that Shandong province now? Shandong province. Yes. Uh, it's part of Shandong province. Um, and so it's, uh, they're over there in Lu and, um, that movement as all intellectual movements do goes through a series of transformations itself and different emphases, um, sometimes it's emphasizing ritual more, because right. one of the ideas in in parts of Ruist thought is that the way that you reform a society is by ritual. Now, that sounds ridiculous to most of us Westerners, right? right. But uh, this is not ritual in the sense of uh, church services, right? right although right. that's part of it, right. but that's one little itty-bitty part. Ritual is about um, a, ser- a set of social conventions for being good. In a right. no sense, right? Um, and they're the ways in which we train ourselves to be good, right? Um, and so, for a lot, for a lot of the Ruists the goal here is to teach people ritual, so that they become good, right. and then we don't have all this war, right, and, and violence.
0: When we talked about Burger earlier, and and. How we construct social realities and forget them. You could almost say that Lee or mm-hmm. or ritual yeah. is the is the construction part of the social reality. It is the it is well, the, it's the
1: construction and what we forget, and right? what we forget. It's yeah. what we construct and what we forget. Right. Um, it's the social norms. Protestantization right. itself is a result of Lee, right? Of the ritual, right? So um, as is democracy, as is capitalist economic systems all these things are are human conventional constructs that we make and then forget that we made them right and just take them to be what they are right um, and so a lot of these ruist thinkers including Mencius and shunza actually think that what we should do is cultivate some better systems right um, and then forget about them forget that we're the ones that created them right. um, forgetting about it is part of that process even for them right so Mencius comes along uh, and he is born out of uh, the descendants of Confucius himself in his school in Lu he studied there for a while uh, from what we know of him Uh, And then he went out and traveled around China as well and and offered himself uh, to be a scholar official, right? This is the goal of of Ru, is not salvation in some otherworldly sense, but to achieve a position at court that allows them to have influence and to implement their ideas in the social realm.
0: And that's one of the ways that Confucianism is, is overtly... Uh, political, absolutely, and and just to contrast it because we are going to get back to this notion of Protestantization, yeah. but just to contrast it with Taoism, which is another thing that in, mm-hmm. in modern societies we have a lot of trouble identifying sure. as a religion. Uh, I know that in like the religion one hundred and one class that I took, you know, freshman year, so four yeah. years ago, I remember by the time Taoism came up, the professor was saying, "Well, it's really hard to say if this is a religion. Maybe it's just a philosophy. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's and." So going back to the time in the Hundred Schools of Thought, you've got Confucianism, you've got Taoism, and the one thing I would say, and this might be an overgeneralization, please correct me, but they both believe in this concept of the moral exemplar, of of Mm wu-wei. And the notion, there's this uh, passage in the Analects that says, that uh, the, the the noble person is like a pole star mm-hmm. uh, and so it, it provides uh, guidance for the society by a moral example absolutely and in the same way Taoism believes in this the only the, 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 the true difference between the two is that Confucianism promotes action promotes worldly mm-hmm. action mm-hmm. Uh, in the court influencing the politics whereas um, the, the the Taoist principle and this is going to be sort of a, a an abbreviation of it but it is, it's it's do nothingness, or yeah. or or not not doing.
1: Yeah, I mean they both have the do nothingness in them. Right. Um, you've been clearly been talking with Ben, uh, okay, right. but uh, I think actually in this period in the Morning States. Um, there isn't something that we would now consider Taoism.
0: Right, right. Um,
1: You've got uh, parts of the the hundred schools of thought eventually come together and then get radically transformed to become what we now think of as Taoism. Right. Um, But for example, the community that wrote the Tao Te Ching, which is one of the two texts that we now usually consider foundational for Taoism, along with the Zhuangzi. Right. a community that wrote the Tao Te Ching was actually vying for influence at court with Confucius's descendants in Lu. Mm, okay, that that I did not know. So they they are. So they're very political.
0: They're very political, um,
1: yeah. and they have different understandings of what it is that the court should do to resolve the violent situation that's for sure right. very different views but they're all political yeah um the idea that that there's any uh anything going on in more states china that isn't in some sense political is, is a, intellectually is is um probably gonna go astray right um but i think you know you've got um Yes, yeah, so they both have this idea of Wu Wei, of, of a moral exemplar. They're all, all of these traditions are, va- are drawing on a very common set of vocabulary. And in fact, um, in the state of Wu, uh, the duke uh, forms a, an academy where he brings together people who are thinking in very different ways about these issues. Right. Um, called the Jixia Academy. And he, uh, and he wants them to think together and be writing together. And, and it's uh, um, Shunzi uh, from the later part of the, uh, Ru from the late part, of, was the libationer at the Zixia Academy three times. That basically means mm. he was the head of it. Right. Uh, the, the most influential person in a sense. Right. Um, so, uh, and you get Mencius who is very much affiliated with, with the descendants of Confucius in that school in Lu. Shunzi, not so much. Right. Um, Shunzi was formed in a different milieu by people who also trained the lineage back to Confucius, but had taken his intellectual ideas in a different, somewhat different direction. Right. And Shunzi is remarkable in part because he's actually one of the very, he's pretty much the only successful Ru in this period, okay. right? If you think about Rue uh, viewing success as achieving office, high office, mm-hmm. Uh, Most of them never do it. The best Confucius himself ever did was he became the minister of crime, which is ironic because he didn't believe in in legal systems for dealing with uh, moral corruption. Um, But uh, Shunza actually became governor of Lu at one point and was in uh, quite a bit of conflict uh, with the uh, descendants of Confucius himself. They disagreed quite vehemently about things.
0: So, can we talk about the way then that pluralism plays into this hundred schools idea so that's going to come up again later, and yeah. so when we talk about, for example, you said the I think it was the Duke of Wu mm-hmm. who had this school to bring people together and debate different schools of thought right In what way does pluralism factor into this uh this ancient Chinese? Time period, yeah. So I mean, it it would be a mistake to
1: say that everybody just got along. No, right. That's not the point of this school, Uh, and so that it's some kind of um, ideal of a pluralistic society. Right, right. Everybody's actually vying at court for their ideas. Right, Um, and and are taking sides um in in the wars that are actually playing out on the battlefields right, right. so um but that said uh, the exchange that goes on among thinkers does result in a common vocabulary for talking about um ultimate reality for example as tian heaven right or there's lots of ways of translating right. tian but heaven being the most common but yeah that resonates very strangely uh, for us Westerners by right. comparison with what it means in in, in ancient China. Uh, you could also translate it nature. Right. Um, right. Uh, concepts like wu-wei, right. uh, um, of ritual, li, of humaneness, run. Uh, all these different um, ideas are actually being shared among them, and, and they're influencing each other in different ways. So it's a very... Um, you know, it's a deeply intellectual period, right? Um, and it's pluralistic in that there are all these different
0: schools of thought, right? Uh, but it is brutally violent, right? And when when we talk about the coalescing of certain ideas about that around these terms, uh, mm-hmm. and you're talking about the the deeply the deeply the very scholarly nature of the time, mm-hmm. um, one of the really important things in the revolutionaries uh, revolutionariness of of Ruism is to say that that. It changed some of the terms um, for example a term like she uh, used to refer to the a noble class yes and it later could become anyone who had spent time studying who was a scholar absolutely could then be she and so yep. there's a certain I, I don't want to say egalitarianism but a certain level of social mobility that's understood yeah. by the way these terms were shaped Right. In the Ruist tradition, right?
1: Yeah, one of the things that happened as, um, you know, the the ancient dynasties, the Shang and then the Zhou, declined and then fell apart, is that it did create space for social advancement. Right. Um, and so uh, it was possible to become part of social classes like the Shi, uh, the Shu, that... Um, uh, it would not have been possible previously, right. uh, where where things were were social systems were much more rigid. Right. Um, of course, you know, not long after this period, we get another you know couple thousand years of imperial dynasties, right. which are very rigid again. Right. Uh, so, um, in, in most cases, right. with variations. Therein, but uh, much more rigid than certainly. So, yeah, you do get a period of, uh,
0: of an expanding upper middle class. You don't get right. real middle class. But, right. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So uh, if th- this is our, our context for Confucianism in, mm-hmm. in the ancient sense. Um, just to understand what kind of things we have here is we have the notion of a very political mm-hmm. um, System or mm-hmm. an interest in the political system. Mm-hmm. We ha- we do have notions of of metaphysics and of ultimate reality. in sure. Tian. We have this notion of social mobility, and so I, I think that's that's a good uh, a good time now to again zoom through history yeah. uh, and and come back to the present day and talk about Protestantization. And so yeah. there's this sort of an inherent tension. I imagine you have uh, some interesting conversations with Dr. Neville and Dr. Bin. When we're talking about something like Boston Confucianism, when we're talking about trying to adapt Confucianism into a Western context, it now has to be analogized, because of the things we talked about earlier, to to Protestantism. It has to be analogized Mm -hmm. in the same way we're asking those questions of Confucianism, you know, what, what are your texts? What are your source texts? And, and we're making it coalesce around, around mm-hmm. a certain number of source texts, mm-hmm. and there's debate about uh, what was authored by Confucius himself, mm-hmm. for instance, or what was not. What should be considered source text and what was not. Mm-hmm. And so in what other ways, by pulling Confucianism into this context, do we uh, sort of subject it to this Protestantization mm-hmm. idea? Sure. Yeah, so what's interesting is, so
1: uh, Ruism or Confucianism coming to this context is a fairly new phenomenon. Right. Um, Ruist scholars in China and East Asia generally for a long time insisted that it was only even possible in East Asia, mm-hmm. because it was so deeply embedded in culture there. Um, and so one of the big moves that Dr. Neville makes by uh, coining this notion of Boston Confucianism mm-hmm. is what he says in the subtitle of that book, which is Portable Tradition in Late Modernity. Mm-hmm. Right, The idea that Confucianism is actually portable. Mm-hmm. It's not restricted to East Asia. You can actually... Take ideas from it and move them elsewhere and figuring out how to embed them there and and grow them there. Um, So, yes, you're right. When it comes here, it does have to uh, figure out how to fit into its new social context. Right. Um, What's interesting here is that that's just beginning. Um, this is a very nascent kind of thing. This is not something that's been going on. Right. I mean, we're talking like less than a decade.
0: Right, right. The 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 conference where Dr. Neville got this idea, yeah. I think, was in the '90s. Right. And so, you know, this is a very new thing. Yeah. Um, but but just to use your example of uh, of in your work, you talk about. Friends from afar, which yeah. is a Confucianism group that exists on Facebook, right. uh, which really shows the degree to which we're adapting it to a modern Absolutely. context. Absolutely. So, can you talk about some of the examples from? Yeah. That so, from afar group? so what you get,
1: uh, you get friends from afar. You get Bin's blog. You get um, uh, 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 some other other conversations going on, and right. these are very um, they're rigorous. You right. get people who really know the tradition pretty well in some cases. Other people who don't, mm-hmm. but who are intrigued by it, who wonder mm-hmm. about it, who think, may, "Gee, maybe there's something here," and who want different things from
0: it. Can you talk about the how the Friends from Afar Confucianism Facebook group came to be? Um, I know that uh, mm-hmm. Doctor Ben is one of the administrators, yep. and a gentleman who I always see posting. I actually don't know who he is, but uh, yep. Ben Butina. Yep. Uh, can Can you talk about how the how the so, I mean, that's started. a better
1: question for Ben, but uh, right. he and Ben got together and started the group in order to create a space for people to talk about mm. what does it mean to identify as mm. a Roo right? in contemporary American life right. um, and global life. I mean, right. there are folks in the group from elsewhere, too. right? Um, but they were particularly thinking American life. Um, and what's interesting there is the assumptions made in that very framing, right, is that... Um, what does it mean to identify as a roux already we're talking about religion as an identity Hmm. which is not what it is in east asia right right? if you went up to somebody on the street in china and asked them are you a confucian are you a Rue? they'd look at you like you were drunk right right um because that's not really how identity works there right um can ruism has become so taken for granted in east asia that most of the time a lot of folks who are living out a lot of its ideals are not even conscious about doing so it's just mm-hmm. part of the cultural matrix right, right in east asia it's not and it, it's become taken for
0: granted so 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 we just so we have a, an understanding of how it becomes a part of that cultural mm-hmm. matrix i mean i understand it's been there for a number of years but as each successive generation is born and yep. gets its uh, it's rituals it's Lee transferred yep. to it um, would it be something if you were walking up on the street and uh, would you say you know ha- have you read the Analects would you what what sort of question would you ask to sort of not necessarily so, so...
1: I don't think you really could tease it out for most people
0: really just um, so deeply woven. it's
1: just part of part of the fabric of cultural life at this point mm-hmm. and this is true not just in China but in um, Korea right. Vietnam, Singapore, lots of East Asia. Right, right, right. Um Japan's complicated. Definitely huge influence there. Right. Little different. A whole set of other influences as well. And that's true in these other societies. They're mm. multiply influenced. And the idea that you need to claim some sort of identity mm. around this is just not what people think about. Right. Um it's it's religion as a category of life. Are you Christian or Jewish or Muslim? Is not how people think about themselves, right? Largely, and some do. I'm not too right. broad of a brush to, but it's not. It's not, and that's certainly not where Ruism is located. Uh, right. There are no institutions, there are no religious leaders, there are no text studies like Bible studies, right? right. There are no, um, yeah. It's not something you talk about. It's just.
0: It is how people are, right? And that's and, and so so I want to actually bring up a quote that you um, that you quote from Dr. Bin in yep. your work, uh, and he notes that uh, here he notes that this creates a bit of dilemma for those of us who believe that a religious institutional form would be helpful for promoting Confucianism in the U.S. Yeah. To be considered a religion by the government and mainstream society, this institution must have a quote unquote clergy clergy of some sort. And then he asks, "But how can we have a quote-unquote clergy without corrupting the traditional Confucian view of the virtuous person uh, uh, described above?" Yeah. And so, I mean that 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 is the fundamental that is the Protestantization is that when we when we have mm-hmm. to develop institutions right. in order to, to transmit into, in order to compete in the marketplace of ideas right. where this isn't woven into the cultural fabric, right. it it creates a tension with the very text and. The, the long-held
1: ideas themselves. Absolutely. And what's interesting here is there's some self-awareness about the fact that that's happening. Right, right? Right. Um, You do get some self-awareness in other traditions that undergo Protestantization as well, although in many of those cases it took a while for people to realize that, Mm. oops, we seem to have Fallen down the Protestantization rabbit hole. Where, um, where? So are, there, are
0: there some examples? Oh yeah,
1: I mean, there's um, I, I mean, there's there's whole books written on the Protestantization of Judaism, mm. uh, or of uh, and there's uh, Reza Aslan has done a couple of blog posts on the Protestantization of Islam, mm. right? Uh, so there's there's some growing awareness of this within these communities right. uh, of of the fact that the phenomenon is happening. Yeah. You can talk about it in terms of Catholicism too, yeah. uh, what it means to be a Catholic priest right. in the U.S is very different than in Europe. Um, what it means to be a rabbi in the U.S. is very different than what it means to be a rabbi in Israel or in Europe or in a whole bunch of other places. Right. So um, there's, uh, there is some self-awareness, but here, right as the tradition is attempting to figure out what to do with itself in American life, mm-hmm. and I think part of that is that, uh, part of that's been that I've been part of those conversations and have raised yeah. it as an issue with some of the leaders, yeah. but part of it is also that here you have a tradition that is so different Mm -hmm. that um from protestantism in terms of its social forms that when it encounters this protestantized society it actually is forced to make some moral decisions Mm. about how it will be incarnated in the society or not or whether it's even possible um And certainly, and you know, it's interesting, there are people who are looking for Ruism to fill a function in their life that Christianity or some other tradition had filled before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yes, an institution that you can go, a building that you can go to, right? right? Religious leaders you can look to for authoritative interpretations. Um,
0: uh, All these sorts of things are things they really want. Right. But that's so hard because one of the things is, at least the way it exists in the United States now, is fundamentally through scholarship. Yes. Um, it, it, it doesn't have a priesthood in the sense And that's that, true in China, too. Right. and so, or in, the, in the rest of East Asia. And so I, one of the questions that I asked Dr. Neville when we first met with him, and he admitted to not having a real answer for, mm-hmm. is how do you get Confucianism out of the ivory tower and mm-hmm. onto the street? Yes. And it's a really hard question because the transmission yes. is occurring in this dialogue between um, between academic schools of thought. And so, if we're talking about Boston Confucianism, you have Absolutely. the south of the Charles version right. pioneered by Dr. Neville, and the north of Charles north of the Charles version right. pioneered by Dr. Du Wei Ming. Yep, and that's wonderful, there, there is a discourse happening, right. but in order to, to pry into that discourse and try yeah. to understand what's going on, it's very difficult. You have to be a part of this privileged class of people yes. who are out of university. Yes. And so, I'm sure one of the very difficult conversations that, that is going on for Dr. Bin and, and other people who yeah. like to promote the religion, uh, promote the system, is... Whatever it is that we're talking it is, about. Whatever yeah, yeah, I, 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 I realized I was framing it in a specific way. But yeah, is, is you know, how do you get it out there? Yeah, um, without it's a real question. Forcing forcing people to come to you in the ivory tower,
1: right? So, um, is it an educational movement? That's been one of the one of the ideas floated. Yeah. Um, but then uh, quickly becomes how do you get people to participate in your educational offerings? Mm. To read your books or pamphlets or whatever, to watch your little YouTube videos, to do all these sorts of things. Um, you know, there are. Uh, a variety of options mm-hmm. uh, it could become a Protestantized religious group right it could become some kind of a registered re- uh, educational institution right. it could become um,
0: uh, it could become a political movement right Confucianism in this context is as you mentioned a relatively um, nascent movement. Mm-hmm. How did you choose Confucianism as the way to study it? Is it because it's so young in this context and then also mm-hmm. um, what other religions can we look to for examples of Protestantization? Uh, I know before we went on the air we were talking a little bit about the Vedanta societies mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and the way for that sure. that Hindus came to America and this 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 has a little bit larger of a history in the United yeah. States so um, can you talk about con- the Protestantization of Confucianism versus the Protestantization of of any number of other traditions.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the Vedanta Society, I mean, there's one here on campus just down Bay State Road, um, is a phenomenal uh, example of Protestantization. uh, And and one that was kind of intentional. Right. uh, Right, where you had uh, some Hindus come to the U.S. and decide fairly intentionally to adopt Protestant forms in order to make their views amenable to uh an American audience.
0: Right. Um which is fascinating. Right. <laughs> it's almost it's almost sorry to interrupt yeah. right after I asked the question, but um it's almost interesting in that the traditions which themselves promote pluralism almost make themselves susceptible to the Protestantization of their own traditions. I don't know if if you would agree with that in that, you know, for instance yeah. Um, so, so I, I was coming across something in terms of the the origins of the Vedanta societies, and sure. it goes back to, to a gentleman named Sri Ramakrishna yep. in uh, India who mm-hmm. who had an encounter with Jesus, yep. and and then and but even before that, from what I understand, he was a big promoter of religious pluralism. Yep. And it's and it's through a lineage of his disciples that eventually these uh, these Hindus came to the United sure. States mm-hmm. and founded the Vedanta Societies. And so, right. I mean, would you agree with that statement? And, and if not, I mean, push back against um, it. But would you agree with the, the the notion that traditions that make themselves yeah. advocates of pluralism become susceptible to the Protestantization of their own traditions?
1: I think plural... It depends on what you mean by pluralism. Okay, okay. Um, but um, sort of pluralistic notions in the sense of um... Somehow, all of these traditions are are sort of oriented around a common ultimate reality. Okay, Um, that form of pluralism um, can lend itself toward not caring so much about institutional expression. Okay, right, sometimes, right. Um, But I think the challenge, like with the Vedanta society, um, yes, you do. I mean, Hinduism is is pluralistic in a sense of. Um it's got a uh, Hinduism isn't one thing. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it um, is it's internally massively like, yeah, diverse, which yeah. is actually true of almost all traditions, by right. the way. Right. Um but uh they all have their own internal diversity, but but some stress that there's some sort of ultimate unity behind them more than others. Right. And there's versions of Hinduism that do that. Right. Uh we see that with, with the Hindutva movements in India right now. Right. Um So I think um I think it's a little bit of a stretch to say that that pluralistic movements or movements that are more open to engagement across traditions are necessarily. Sometimes it makes them more um, sort of aware of the fact that that's mm. uh, that's likely to happen, uh, right. and so actually resistant to right. Protestantization forces or skept- at least skeptical. Right. Um, I think the 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 more. Um, the more common thing is for uh and and talking about religions as somehow inherently pluralistic is complicated too right right um most religious traditions again have diversities of views about how to relate to people of other traditions right
0: so Uh, so looking at so we talked about the fact then that um you know by analogy a lot of Religions have to find a way to to incorporate or to change once they're here, mm-hmm. and so I would like to ask then, just so we have a clear understanding of Protestantization in, in that Hindu context, is that mm-hmm. when the followers of Sri Ramakrishna came here and started the Vedanta societies, one of the things that they were arguing is they said Jesus was a Hindu. They said yep. they said sure he was one of the, they they said he was one of the avatars of Vishnu, which uh, yep. which is you know Vishnu is one of the part of the Trinity. Of, mm-hmm. of Hindu gods and has uh, a number of avatars including Krishna, is probably right. his most well-known one in the Bhagavad Gita right. but uh, they then argued that, that Jesus' uh, Jesus's example was the example right. of an avatar of Vishnu and so right. Can you say would that be is that Protestantization or is that just really an opportunity Yeah, not in the way right that movement. I'm not not in not the, way the way that I'm talking saying. about. I mean,
1: uh, Hinduism has the ability to adopt things into it in that way right. in certain of its forms, and that's right. what happened. Right. Um, and that's really that's actually a more doctrinal matter, okay. right? Yeah. Of of this group of Hindus decided to make intentionally make a shift in doctrine, okay. Um, Um, and and I I have no reason to believe that they didn't sincerely believe that right um, that that was the case now you'll find that most Hindus in the US who Mm. uh, you know have they or their families have come from India more recently uh, um, so that are not connected with that initial movement that resulted in the Vedanta Society View the Vedanta society with a significant amount of skepticism. Right. Right. Right? And so um and it, uh, it's a very protestant idea to say well it's all hinduism well mm. that's like saying well it's all protestantism or it's all christianity right right, 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 right. Mm. Uh, hinduism didn't even refer
0: to itself as hinduism right. until the that's a, showed up in india
1: exactly that's a
0: very <laughs> protestant construct in its own right exactly exactly I'm, what
1: i'm talking about in terms of Protestantization really has more to do with social forms institutions okay styles of leadership uh, oh, so ways it's, of
0: approaching texts. It's a formal definition, not a doctrinal. Right. Definition. It's specifically not doctrine. So, so, right. so the Vedanta Society saying that Jesus was an avatar of Vishnu is irrelevant to the social. Pretty much forms. irrelevant. What irrelevant to what I'm describing, although the fact that the Vedanta
1: Society did intentionally adopt Protestant forms is an example of what I'm talking
0: right, about. Right. Right. So, okay. So as we kind of come into the close here because I think we've looked at sort of we've looked at the protestantization of confucianism and then which is a relatively new phenomenon yep. and then the Pro- protestantization of hinduism which is mm-hmm. goes back quite a while in the United mm-hmm. States I'd like to ask then your your work is primarily descriptive it's describing mm-hmm. the phenomenon mm-hmm. but from a normative perspective would you or is there someone who would argue that this is in some way damaging the religions mm-hmm in, and maybe we should, and maybe is saying that these religions should not try to make the adaption, mm-hmm. um, either by coming to the United States, or once they come here, should retain their integrity as they're practiced in mm-hmm. foreign uh, in foreign lands, mm-hmm. and whoever comes and adopts the religion, good for them, mm-hmm. but we're not gonna change. Are there people who make that argument, and would you make that argument?
1: I haven't heard anybody make that argument yet. Right.
0: Um,
1: I um so my my academic discipline is comparative and philosophical theology uh which is a normative discipline right uh insofar as I've addressed uh the topic of protestantization and Confucianism it has been entirely descriptive thus far um pursuing that further is a post-dissertation project of mine I'm finishing my own doctoral dissertation now um I think um I'm less interested in saying you should take Protestant forms or you shouldn't Mm. than to say this is happening. Right. You should think about it before you jump in. Okay. Um, uh, I'm interested more in raising. So my should is at that level. Yeah. Of, hey, there's something going on here, and you might want to pay attention to it lest you fall into the trap unawares. Right. If you want to walk into that
0: Right, knowing that that's what's coming, you were free to make that decision. In the way that Doctor Bin acknowledged it in that quote that we read, and said yes. and, and the debates happen with the Confucian, uh, with the friends from afar yeah. Facebook group. Yeah, and they they say, you know, this is something that we feel we need to do. Right, uh, at least to a certain degree. I'm sure there are internal debates about to what degree. Yeah, um, but your work yeah. is simply to say this is happening and you should be conscious of it before you make these adjustments. You should be conscious of it and you should make your
1: decisions in light of that. Right. Um, and, and you have to decide how much of that uh, social form of religion
0: you are, want right. to take on, um, yeah. So, so here, here's the question then, is that that's, this is descriptive of what's happening Here with Protestantization, Mm -hmm. as the world becomes globalized economically and Mm -hmm. more and more, uh, more and more systems, political systems adopt democracy or forms Mm -hmm. of democracy, to what extent can the social assumptions that underlie Protestantization begin to change religious forms across the world? Yeah, I mean, that's, um,
1: it's happening. Mm -hmm. We already see it happening. Um... Uh, Including, you know, Hindutva in in India, right, Right. Uh, is a very Protestantized uh, way of thinking about Hinduism. Um, You can see it in in other places as well. Even uh, conceptions of what counts as religion in China now. Is very Protestantized. Mm. Uh, and that comes through. I mean, there's a lineage there, uh, term of etymological lineage of, of the word that gets used for religion in, in, in China. Right. Um, that that uh, is more or less Protestantized, and there's actually debates mm-hmm. about that. Um, but it's certainly happening. It's um, is it necessary? Um. Tocqueville would argue, yes, you have to have a social domain separate from the state that deals with ultimate matters.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Tocqueville wants to argue, I think. Right. Uh, there are Tocquevillians who would argue with me on that, but I'm 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 comfortable saying that uh, he thinks that. Uh, and and that liberal democracy, at least as he has experienced it, really isn't possible without separating those two domains.
0: Right. I'm not so sure. Right. And that presents the interesting problem for Confucianism when you say when Tocqueville says that you have to separate the domains. Yes. And Confucianism is straddling the line between those domains. It doesn't even recognize that there is a line. Right. That's very true. Um, (laughs) That's my my Western mind. Now,
1: it's not only Confucianism dealing with that. You look at Islam in Saudi Arabia or in Iran Right, where you know, uh, you know, uh, in the US, we tend to look at say Iran, uh, as oh my gosh, what are they doing? They're mixing mm-hmm. religion and politics and church and state and all this stuff. And, um, well, that's just not a distinction that's relevant, right, really, in that context in the same way, right? And so, um, yeah, it leads to a lot of misunderstanding that has a lot of very,
0: um, important uh, implications for social policy, right. I don't normally end like this. I normally end with a, a stirring question of my own, but I, I'll just toss it to you. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to add on on this note? I think ruism is a fascinating tradition, okay,
1: um, and one that we know very most of us in the U.S. know very little about, um, and it's one worth exploring, uh, and I think it's one worth watching um, over time uh, for where where it goes from here. Uh, Beyond that, uh, there's a lot more to be said about Protestantization, Uh, a lot more I want to say in my own future work, uh, and I look forward to uh,
0: getting to that as well. Uh, Last thing here would be, you did something with BU Today, can you talk about that so the listeners can go to BU Today and and Yeah, it's called
1: Discovering Marsh Chapel. It uh, it started out as a tour I give at Marsh that covers the history of BU from 1839 to the present and looks at how that history and legacy is incarnated in the very uh, architecture and artwork and facility of Marsh Chapel. Uh, and uh, you can look for it on the BU Today website. It went live last October. Uh, it's a very cool interactive feature with 365 degrees photos and archival photos and audio from me, which is very strange for me to go back in here. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's a fun feature. I think it um, it can really help for those of your listeners who are looking to uh, understand who they are at BU and who BU is forming them to become. This is the legacy, in a sense of of BU. It covers Thurman and King and, and lots of others besides uh, of the the folks that have come before you uh, and that may inspire you and in toward right. what you can become when you graduate.
0: Right. I will add on to that and say. Uh, Learning the history of BU for me has always been something that makes me feel connected to the campus and to the community you can do that by uh, looking at uh, Brother Larry's work that he did with BU today you can do it also by checking out uh, Dr. George McTechnie's book which we have here in the Thurman Center studying stories about Boston University and just go ahead and stop by Mark Chapel that's, uh, that's also not a bad idea but um, thanks so much for listening to this episode Absolutely, uh, we're glad we got to talk about it thank you for being here Brother Larry and um, we'll uh, we'll come back to you with more stuff from the Common Thread Hey, podcast listeners this is Kobe again uh, we hope you enjoyed the second part of our discussion with brother Larry uh, again uh, we wanted to thank brother Larry for his time and finally one more time if, uh, if you're interested in having discussions like these you can go to the Howard Thurman Center website at bu.edu htc to find out more about the common thread and how you can potentially join the project thanks so much and until the next time we'll keep looking for the common thread